0: So this morning we're starting into a new teaching series here at Covenant. It's going to take us all the way to December, to the beginning of Advent. And it's a series where we're going to be looking at seven statements that Jesus makes uh, in the Gospel of John. Seven statements that all begin with the same two words, I am. I am the Good Shepherd. I am the Resurrection and the Life. I am the Way, the Truth, and the Life. Each week we'll be looking at one of these statements. And I want to tell you the origin of this series, because the origin of this series uh, tells you a little bit about um, where we're going to go in it. The origin of this series actually started in my home several months ago, as Beth, my wife, and I were doing a devotion together. It was one morning, and we were doing a devotion and uh, talking about it, which um, I realize as I say that out loud makes us just sound like this spiritually amazing couple we just we're both pastors and we just sit and talk about devotions and we have little halos above our head (laughs) and that's an accurate image of what every day is like (laughs) for the daniels Okay, so this one day we were doing a devotion uh, when we were there, and we were talking about it. And the devotional book we were using had several different scriptural references. It wasn't just about one, it was about several different ones. And one of the scripture references was uh, one of these I am statements, I am uh, the bread of life. And so we were sort of talking about this thing. And for those of you who have been in any Bible study Beth has taught you won't be surprised at this. But when we get in these discussions, Because she's 10 times smarter than I am, and I don't mean that as a throwaway line, I mean genuinely she is, she'll often make these connections that takes me about an hour and a half to get there, but I don't like feeling stupid in my marriage, so I don't admit that uh, up front, which is a very healthy way of being. And so while we were talking about uh, I am the bread of life, she made this comment. She goes, you know, uh, I think it's obvious that the origin stories uh, of this statement are, are in the Exodus text, and you're like, what? Um, but, out, but outwardly, what I'm doing is like, oh, yeah, obviously. It's weird you need to say that out loud. <laughs> Internally, you're going, okay, Exodus text. It's Moses to the beginning of the Bible. There's Pharaoh, there are plagues. Did any plagues involve bread of life? No, I'm not seeing it. And, and, I, and outwardly, I'm just going, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just kind of keeps saying, yeah. And I think she's learned over 24 years of marriage that I have no idea what she's talking about. And so she just stops now and she's like, from Exodus three. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> By the way, that is one of the worst things to do to a pastor ever. <laughs> and I'll have people walk up to me and they'll like say something. And it's like, is that from like Ecclesiastes? And you're like, yeah, that sounds like Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Isn't that from like, you know, Micah nine, it's like, yeah definitely Micah 9 right so she's like Exodus 3 and I'm like oh yeah yeah but in my head I'm going okay that's at the beginning of it so we're not to the plagues yet and finally she goes let me just read the text that I'm talking about it's from from Exodus chapter 3 verses uh, 10 through 14 and this is what she read this is where Moses is at the burning bush and God is speaking through the bush telling Moses to go to Pharaoh to release the Israelite slaves And it says this, it says, "'Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh "'to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. "'But Moses said to God, "'Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh "'and bring the Israelites out of Egypt?' "'He said, I will be with you, "'and this shall be the sign for you "'that it is I who sent you "'when you have brought the people out of Egypt, "'you shall serve God on this mountain.' "'But Moses said to God, "'If I come to the Israelites and say to them, "'The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, "'and they ask me, what's his name?' What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. What Beth was drawing a parallel with and what sort of was a light bulb moment for me, but as I've read about it, apparently lots of other Christian scholars have made this connection too, it's just I had missed it for uh, years, is that when Jesus gives these seven I am statements, in a sense, he's sort of fleshing out this mysterious, powerful call of God from Exodus 3, I am who I am. And that Jesus' listeners would have known that. They would have been, knowing the Old Testament, they would have known that Jesus, every time he makes an I am statement, is saying, I am the divinity, I am God, And yet each one of these statements is like giving us more insight and detail into the character and nature of God because there's something about this Exodus text, right? Like the first time you read it, and maybe it's just me, when it's like, I am who I am, and you're like, oh, but what does that really mean? Like, it's deep and powerful, but like, what is that? What is, I I don't, like if I'm Moses, that I'll just be honest with you, that was not a satisfactory response. Like, who shall I say sent me? I am who I am. If I'm Moses, I'm like, I could love, I'd like a little more detail than that. I feel weird walking into the courts of Pharaoh, who can kill me at any moment, and going, Who sent you? It's like, I am has sent me. Like, it just, it's like, and so Jesus is giving some more details about the character of God. So there's two things that I think are going to happen each week in this series that I'm really excited about. Number one, We are going to see God, the first person in the Trinity, God the Father each week with increasing clarity because every one of these statements is sort of uh, uh, bringing detail and flesh to the I am who I am. And the second thing I think it's going to do is each week as we gain more insight into the nature of God, it's going to give us a practical way of following that God, of knowing that God and following that God. So I think there's something we learn each week and I think there's gonna be something very practical we get to do in response. I'm looking forward to this journey together. All right, so the first text we're gonna look at uh, is from John chapter eight. We're just reading one verse today. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of a debate with the Pharisees here, um, and and they are questioning under what authority he speaks. Okay, and this is the first of the I am statements we're going to look at from John eight chapter twelve. Uh, John chapter eight verse twelve says this again. Jesus spoke to them saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are, how we gather and worship today, that we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. I am light, the light of the world. And he goes on to say, and that those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. harkens back to our series, our rekindle series we finished last week where we talked about the glory of God as a human being fully alive, as we see in the Acts chapter 2 text. And here in chapter 8, we have Jesus connecting, saying that he is light, but again, talking about this promise of life, greater life that we will have. So I want us to spend a couple of seconds today thinking about what does it mean to say God is light? What does that reveal about the character of God? And what does that light, and when you think about the function of light in our world, what does that have to do with life and greater life? And there's a lot that we could go with here. There's a lot of directions we could take. And so uh, leading up to this, I've asked two different groups to think about this and give me some responses. The first is uh, a few weeks ago at the Downtown Men's Bible Study that I teach. Uh, I asked the group to kind of reflect on this, this combination of light and life and where, uh, what they saw as a connection. And then this past weekend staff meeting, we asked the staff to think about it. And their responses were really fascinating. Any of these could be a sermon or a sermon series and where we go. Okay? but here's some of the responses. Number one, people said it's necessary in the creation of life. That, that if you think about it, light is necessary for creation. And we see that in the opening words of the Bible. The first thing Jesus said, I mean that God says in Genesis chapter 1 is, let there be let there be light. Think about that. Of all the ways that creation could begin, God doesn't begin by creating human beings. God doesn't begin by creating animals. God doesn't begin by separating dry land from the sea as we read about later. The first thing that has to happen in the origin of life is the presence of light. And it's still true in our world today that light is necessary for the creation of life but number two what we see is it's also necessary in the sustenance of life and people talked about this that light brings warmth and vitamins you know which is important for 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 life right we're connecting light and life Uh, it brings warmth uh, if you've been in Austin, Texas this summer, you are very well schooled on this truth that there is uh, a lot of warmth that the sun, the light can bring to the world. But that also, that light brings vitamins to us, to our bodies, to, uh, it, it allows oxygen to be produced in the world, uh, photosynthesis, I just told you everything about biology I know, carbon dioxide, somewhere there's light, something magical happens and oxygen is produced from that right that that is necessary for life but that light is this um, uh, life creating but this thing that is necessary for the sustaining of life it's, it's interesting number three this is what someone talked about is that light removes fear which I think is a fascinating thing to think about the most common response in the Bible is that uh, or a command in the Bible is do not be afraid how do you not afraid That darkness and uncertainty are some of the things we can be frightened of. Like, I mean, you know, I'm an adult, and so this doesn't happen to me now, but I've heard it happens to other people that you can be in a space in the day, and it's great, but when it turns into night and you can't see anything and you don't know what is outside, it can be a little scarier. Light can help you to see. It's one thing to walk into a parking lot at noon when the sun is out. It's another thing to walk by yourself at midnight, isn't it? The presence of light allows us to see what's there and it can remove fear. And the removal of fear brings greater life to us. You could preach a whole sermon series on that. Number four, you can preach a whole sermon series on this. Light allows you to see what is hidden. If you wanna really know how to bring the tone down in a dinner conversation that you're with friends, just ask them and say, so what are you hiding in your life right now? Actually, a really important question because what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is after Adam and Eve eat of the fruit they're not supposed to, the first thing they do is they hide. They hide from God and they make clothes, they start hiding from each other, start presenting themselves in certain ways to God and to each other, hiding. It says that the wages of sin is death. Well, the first thing we do is we hide before we die. Do you really want to go to a different place today? We could ask the question and ask us: think about what are we hiding? as we gather today, because human beings have an amazing capacity to hide and to self-justify why we do it. What are you hiding today? Because light illuminates those places. You might be hiding how you handle money. You might be hiding how you treat people when no one is around. You might be hiding what you've looked at on the internet recently. You might be hiding pain as you're here today. You might be hiding by disengaging from conflict when hard conversations need to happen and just going, it's just fine. And not getting into how you find depth with each other. You might be hiding your true feelings from a person. You might be hiding and ducking phone calls or hoping somebody doesn't ring you up. There's all kinds of ways that we hide in life. And the more we hide, the less and less life we have. Let me prove it to you. Um, Anybody ever besides me had a moment when you had to confess something, when you had to say something that was hard, when you had to admit to something that wasn't going to maybe make you look the best in someone else's eyes, and you're really nervous about it, and you're really scared about it, and you go in and you admit it, and even if it's a hard conversation, at the end of it, there's almost always this lightness that you feel in honesty. You know what I mean by that? Even if the conversation or situation is hard, there's something that just is lighter and better about transparency and honesty the more we hide the less life we have the less we hide the more transparent we can be the more life and the greater life we have whole sermon series on that it's heavy i'll admit to you that's heavy so where we're going to go in the end in the few minutes we have left number five Somebody said that, that, that light ge- allows us to have direction. It gives us direction in life. And that's important too, right? Think about this. If you've ever walked around your house at night, it's amazing what you can run into, right? It's amazing what you can, like, it's like I think the doorway is right there. And you're like, nope, that was another step that I needed to take. But in, in the daytime, when you can see, you have direction. You know where to go. You know when to stop. You know when to keep going. You know when to go left. You know when to go right. And Jesus actually seems to make this clear in the text where he says that I am the light of the world and those who follow me will have the light of life. Well, it's much easier to follow something you can see, isn't it? And so what I want to ask you to consider today is how much in your life and in your life story are you getting direction in your days by explicitly saying, I want to do this as a follower of Jesus. I want to live this day as a follower of Jesus. I, that every day you and I make decisions, big decisions and small decisions. And the first thing we have to ask to have greater life is, are we making these decisions following the example, following the teaching, following Jesus? Because following Jesus is not always going to line up with what we might want. But we follow in Jesus' ways because the belief is, by following Jesus rather than our own instincts even at time, we find greater life. And I also just want to say that sitting in church doesn't mean that you're necessarily making decisions following Jesus. We learned that this week. If any of you guys were at the courageous conversation that Alan Hilton led this past Wednesday night, we had a very important interaction around immigration. And Alan talked about some things that were um, important for us to hear. He talked about how in all of the division in our country right now, the immigration um, um, uh, conversation is the third most divisive statistically between the left and the right. But the thing that was almost more disturbing to me that he helped us to enter into was this comment that, in a recent survey of Christians on their, po- on their um, position on immigration, 7% of Christians said that their faith was a primary driver in why they held the position they did. 93% said, my feelings on immigration are really not informed by my faith. That is, an, um, that is a stunningly disturbing statistic. Like, that is an amazingly, for us to be able to buy free, we have all these conversations in our country right now, are we walking away from our Judeo-Christian heritage? And that's maybe an important conversation, but here's this, it's not 93% of Americans are are not making this decision based on faith. 93% of Christians, it's not about, is our country walking, we're walking away from it. We're not making decisions based on this. It's not about necessarily everybody else yet, what about us? No, 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 I make that decision based on something else. No, every decision we make should be following the one who is light. Every decision we make should be going, what is Jesus' example? What is his teaching? How do we follow that? Little example, big examples. But we so naturally separate these things. Are you making decisions? Are you getting direction on every detail of your life by saying, what is the example of following Jesus? What does that teach me? What does that look like for me? Because I believe that brings greater life. That's what Pledge Sunday is. You knew I was going to work this in. We're still in pledge season. I don't know if you heard that. If you missed the welcome, we can still take pledges as they're coming in. But seriously, generosity is that. We don't ask people to give because like, you seem like really nice people. We think you'll give. We'd like to have a nice budget this year. We ask you as followers of Jesus. Because following Jesus calls us to an extravagant level of generosity that probably most of us wouldn't choose on our own. And what we're saying to you is like we want to make decision but we also think that if we are more generous than we might naturally choose on our own here's the thing it's actually going to bring us greater life the proof for me is always in the fact that if you ask my wife and my children they would tell you Thomas getting more of what he wants in life the way he wants it probably isn't great for the world because if someone came to me it's like hey you got some money I can borrow I'm like maybe. I'm a nice guy. I'll be generous. Do you want to give me like at least 10% if not more? No, I don't want to do that. But to live and to try to follow a generosity that is greater than what I would choose because as a follower of Jesus, it actually causes you in life to follow a pattern of living with open hands versus clenched fists. And what my wife would say is that me having that pattern in my life of seeking to be generous and to live up to something that's bigger than just what I want, that makes me a better person and a better husband, and a better father, and a better friend. It's a step in discipleship we take of going, this is might, be, might not be what I would choose to do, but it's what it's called to do as a follower of the light, and therefore I'm gonna trust that it will bring life if I'm obedient. I wanna end with this, just an illustration, because this is kind of a huge concept that Jesus is saying, I'm the light of the world, and those who, who, who follow me will have the light of life. And I want to just illustrate this, and this might be a different issue than what you're struggling with, but it illustrates the power of trying to make decisions following Jesus rather than just ourselves. And I hope it might breathe something into maybe what you are facing today. It was a conversation that took place with um, a, a pastor named Tim Keller, late pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. It was on a podcast that I listened to several years ago, and he was relating a story about the importance of discipleship and formation. He was talking a story about how this young couple had come to meet with him and they were leaders in uh, his church in New York City and they came in and he didn't know what it was about and they sat down together and that they told him, we're really struggling right now in our marriage and we're hoping that you could maybe help us to navigate the path that's ahead of us right now. And he said, well, I don't know, but let let me hear what's causing the struggle. And the wife looked and pointed at her husband and said, his work. Tim Keller looked and said, okay, well, tell me what's going on with that. And the husband started into a story. And at first he was calm telling the story. He told the story about how he had been at work and he had been in this company for a while and the company had done well. And that one day, about seven months before, his boss had come in and said to him, closed the door to his office and said, I want to congratulate you. Because we're going to be doing some changes here at the company. We've recognized your leadership and the, the, the um, place that you are serving and the difference that it's made. And we want you to know that you're going to be getting a promotion. And I wanted to run this by you before it became public. And I wanted to go through it with you and make certain that it worked for you. And the guy said he was just overwhelmed at the excitement about that. And, and he said, you know, and there's going to be a, a, a pay increase that comes with this and a title change. And there's going to be some different responsibilities that he went home and he celebrated with his wife, celebrated with his family, started thinking about how he wanted to lead in this new and this different title and this new job. And he goes in the next day and didn't hear anything about it and went in the next day after that and didn't hear anything about it and for a month. Nobody said anything. So after a month, he goes into his manager's office, his boss's office, who talked to him, and he said, hey, you know, I'm excited about this. I've been thinking about it a lot, um, what I might want to do, and, um, you know, w- when is this going to be announced? And he said that his boss looked at him and said, yeah, that's not going to happen. He said, We've, we, we actually had some unexpected things take place, and we're not going to be able to do that. Someone else actually has, uh, is going to get the promotion. We're going to be announcing it soon, and I'm sorry it didn't work out. And he said, I... I was so mad. I was so mad walking out of there. I couldn't believe that they had gone back on me and what they said. I couldn't believe that they didn't have the courage to come tell me and that I had to go and ask what was going on with this. And that if I hadn't asked, I would have just stayed in the dark. I, I can't believe that I went home and celebrated with my family and that, that all of a sudden that was taken away. I couldn't believe that this change had happened. And he said, and Tim Keller said, as he was sitting there, he could watch him getting more and more angry as he was sitting in his office. And, and he said, you know, for the last six months, I've been trying to get beyond it. I've been trying to move past it. Tim Keller said, well, what have you done? And he said, well, I, you know, there have been times where I just have thought, you know, I'm just going to move past it. I just got to move past it. But he goes, I can't move past it uh, when I see people or when conversations come up or I see the person that got the promotion instead of me or when I see my manager or my manager's manager. He said, and then there's other times where I'm, uh, I'm there and I've actually at times started undermining my manager with other employees because I'm just so like furious about it. And then I try to take it back and, you know, everything else. But it's just, it's just kind of working me up. And Tim Keller said he could just watch his temperature going up and up and up as he was sitting there and his wife said where reason we have this phone call is two weeks ago he was sitting in our home at night and once again at 10 o'clock at night this is all we were talking about and I just looked at him and said I can't do this anymore Your anger is taking over. It is sucking the life out of this marriage. It is sucking the life out of our family. And I just, I cannot figure out how to support you and walk with you in this, but we have got to find a way to move forward. And so Tim Keller said, he asked a question. He asked a question to this guy and he said, I want you to hear, I'm sorry for what's happened to you. I'm sorry that you have been wronged. I'm sorry for what you've had to go through, the embarrassment of it, and the loss of it, and the the struggle with it. But I want to ask you a question. You've told me how you've responded in all these different ways, but what difference does it make that you're following Jesus? You've never reflected for me in your faith of what our faith calls us to when we've been hurt. And I just want to ask, what do you think following God looks like in this situation? He said that the guy looked down at his shoes for about 15 seconds and then looked up and he said, well, if you talk to my wife, the answer is I'm supposed to forgive. If you talk to my best friend in my small group, the answer is that I'm supposed to forgive, but I'm not there. I'm angry and I'm not ready to forgive. I could tell you I've forgiven, but I would not be telling you the truth because that's not where I am and they don't deserve it. And Tim Keller made two points. The first point that he made is that you don't forgive people whether they deserve it or not. You forgive people to free yourself. It's that great quote that says that lack of forgiveness, that not forgiving somebody for the hurt they've caused you is like drinking poison yourself, hoping someone else gets sick. And he said that the second thing about forgiveness is that forgiveness is not a feeling but it's a choice. He said, if you wait to feel like you've forgiven, you're gonna wait your whole life and stew in anger. What forgiveness is, is you make a choice that as Jesus has forgiven you and released you from your sin that you are choosing to forgive another and to release them. And he said, and you might have to choose it again and again and again and again. It's not a one-time thing, but somewhere in there in choosing to forgive the people who have harmed us, what we hope as Christians is that our feelings catch up with the promise. And Tim Keller said, could we just end this by praying for you to forgive because this anger is tearing you apart. I'm the light of the world, Jesus says. Those who follow me will have the light of life. And so they prayed. And Tim Keller prayed and this individual, this guy prayed a very halting prayer and then promised he would be praying it daily as he went forward. A month passed and Tim Keller hadn't seen him One day at Hunter College, where they were meeting, where Redeemer Prez was meeting at the time, they just happened to pass each other in the hallway, and Tim Keller said it was a little awkward because a lot of other people were there. But he said to me, he's like, I've been praying for you guys, how are you doing? And the guy said, I have had to pray that prayer every day, and lots of times when I'm in the office, I have to pray it a couple of times an hour. But I think it's making a difference. I think my feelings are starting to change. And Tim Keller said at that moment, his wife stepped forward and took his hand and said... The person I married has started to move back into our home. This individual's instinct was not to forgive, but walking in the light means we don't navigate decisions and direction based on what we want. But we trust in following the example of Jesus that we will discover what greater life. Looks like you might not be struggling with forgiveness today. But whatever you are trying to figure out, I invite you to walk in the light, to make your decisions following the example of the light and to trust that in doing so, you will find life and find it abundantly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord we do ask for your leading and your guiding as we seek to follow your light and to be your people. We pray this all for whatever direction we need this day and this week and we pray it in the name of Jesus, the great I am, amen.